Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolfe, and with me is Jack, my piano player, drummer, and editor. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own stories. Others will be classics that shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you'll get a performance meant to be heard. This is Season 1. The first half of the season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today we pick up from Episode 1. If you haven't listened, you might want to start there to meet the players and set the stage. Really, today's episode won't make sense without it. We've listed a cast of character in the show notes. To recap, we met Diamond at her own funeral. She had faked her death, burying the mainstream, suburban professional she was to resurrect her CIA cover. Her funeral was interrupted by a leather-clad, F-bombing blast from the past named Sam Irish. She met her contact, Ian Black, to get the information he acquired for her. But first, he needed her to do a little job for him. We join Diamond as she leaves her funeral. Today's story is about a king, unlikely friends, and quinoa. This is episode two, Pump This Jack, or is it Pump This Jack? I strutted away from my hole in the ground, transforming with each step into a sophisticated slut. Striding from the cemetery as fast as my chub rub thighs allowed, I headed to the blue Prius I had borrowed from my parking lot next to my building. I broke into a giddy-up run to get ahead of the pack. Starting the Prius was a matter of touching the right wires together and, well, she was humming like the day she was born. I threw her into reverse and pulled out behind a dark crossover. Faster than you can say, oh shit, said crossover fishtail, drove over a high curb and came to a cockeyed rest across the only exit. The driver staggered out. He leaned heavily on the car, considering the doors and tires as though he couldn't remember what they were used for. Ah, hell, I knew what was coming next. Alexei Rubchinsky was drunk. That wasn't the problem. What my brother-in-law knew about automotive maintenance fit on the head of a pin. I'd heard the stories, of course, and I was surprised he still had all of his fingers. One thing was certain, he thought a lug nut was a type of dessert. If you want a job done right, blah, blah, blah. I got out of my car. I wasn't worried about Alexi recognizing me. I hadn't seen him since Gabrielle's funeral, and I was incognito. Hey, seems like you have a little problem. Alexei swayed subtly, his eyes glassy and blurred. I, I do not know what happened. I dropped my phone and the next thing she is flat. His empty hand ran through his dark hair. I should call the car rental. They will send help. He always had a close and personal relationship with his favorite vodka distiller, a man who counted on Alexei to marry his daughter. It seemed he'd taken some bolstering for my funeral. They'll take you too much time and you're blocking the exit. I can change it for you. He frowned, 
a big, sad, upside-down horseshoe? No, no, you are a woman and this is not right. I rolled my eyes, dismissing the insult. I've changed tires on every continent but one. A fact, albeit not one I'm particularly proud of, and not the continent you'd think. Go ahead and pop the hatch. He pressed a button on the fob, and the SUV hatch silently raised. The trunk being empty simplified the process. The small spare was hidden under the false bottom, complete with jack. I got to work. Like a NASCAR pit crew, I wanted my man back on the road before the field knew he pulled off. I should do something? The car was already in the air. Nope, this is a one-woman job. I glanced at him, only to find him studying my face. Is there something wrong? You look very much like my brother's wife. He blinked twice, then narrowed his eyes. It is in the shape of your face. I lowered my head, obscuring his view. I'm her cousin. Family resemblance. It was an explanation his brain could wrap around, you know. Alexi lived in California. Though he and Gabriel spoke several times a week, we'd only met face to face a few times. Out of nowhere, he called shortly before my death. He was coming to D.C. and he wanted to stay with me. I was on a tight table at that point, with zero room for collateral damage. I told him my house was infested with bed bugs, and he told me he'd stay in a hotel. We had plans for dinner the evening after my death. I expected him to leave when I die. You are a big, sturdy woman, like your cousin, no? I am five foot nine, and while I won't blow over in the storm, I am not, nor will I ever be, sturdy. That may be a compliment in some parts of the world, but not in the good old U.S. of A. Cursing him, I worked on breaking the lug nuts because I, well, I didn't have time to break his lug nuts. The padded suit disguising me from those who knew me best worked against me. I struggled for the right angle over the latex blubber. The padded tits didn't help. There was no place to put my arms where they didn't get in the way. My brother, he very much loved your cousin. I am glad he is dead. This, her death, would have killed him. Swallowing hard, I followed the work at hand and refused to listen. I would never have believed anything would be more important to him than his research. Knowledge and, and the laboratory, they were always his first loves. <sighs> Until he met her. She was his... Oh, I do not know the word in English. My throat tightened to the point of suffocation. I was a victim of my own anatomy. Close your eyes and you can't see. Close your mouth and you can't taste. And well, hold your breath, you can't smell. But you can't not hear. You can't not feel. The pain of a thousand knives pierced my heart through my ears. Yes, she felt the same way. That is why it surprised me when he sent me the key. Uh, excuse me? Well, my brain screeched to a halt. I blinked a few times and got it jump-started. Then thoughts raced through my head, the scene resembling a bumper car pit. I shoved the emotional baggage out of the way and tamed my thoughts with the crack of a whip, letting one coherent thought form. Gabriel sent you a key? Before he died? Like he could have sent it after. Yeah, I was real coherent. The envelope was in his handwriting. It was buried mistakenly within papers for my own research. My graduate assistant, she found it recently. He pulled a small key from his pocket. It is foolish, but I carry it everywhere. He struggled, not pulling off nonchalant any better than I did coherent. It is from my brother. 
Is the tire fixed? Nearly. Footsteps approached. I needed information before we had an audience. What is it open? A box in a bank. The note said this was insurance and to give to his wife if anything happened to him. That is why I make this trip, to give the key. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Oh, fuck, I'm dead. Hey, buddy, you need a hand? Enrique Torres strode across the blacktop with the confidence of a well-armed man. I worked with him for years and knew he'd earned his swagger. Hey, I know you. Don't tell me I never forget a face. The spare was on. Just needed to tighten the lug nuts. One minute more. Alexi, right? I'm Enrique. Alexi turned to Enrique, unconsciously sheltering me with his body. Yes, yes, I remember. From the cookout after they bought the house. You are good? Good? Maybe another day, but not this one. I can't believe my girl went out like that. Glancing up, I could see part of Enrique's face over Alexi's shoulder. Enrique was too close, and he was too good to rely on makeup to hide my identity. Playtime was over. Time to make like a tree and leaf. I would find Alexi and the key after I took care of Black. The man who stomped in, he was of the same mind, yes? Slowly, 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 I lowered the car. With nowhere to go but in, I opened the back door. The crossover SUV had enough room for me to curl up behind the driver's seat. Alexi wouldn't see me once he was in the car. I covered my head with his black suit coat. With the tint of the windows, I was invisible to all but direct scrutiny. Yeah, for a minute I thought we'd have to go Molotov cocktail on his ass, you know? Opening the casket like that. But it's hard to believe Diamond was taken out by a candle. This doesn't make sense. There was speculation in Enrique's voice, and, and that was trouble. Sometimes it didn't pay to have a bad reputation. Do you know she tickled a volcano once? We were working a faction of weapons dealers who set up shop on a volcano. She was a rookie, and she was there to learn. Things got hot, and our man inside got made. Diamond fought fire with fire. She set off a detonation that had the bad boys thinking the volcano was erupting. <laughs> they raced down the mountain, screaming from their windows as this nasty black smoke rose up. Down at the bottom, our men and the local government forces waited. She saved the agent's life and took down a multi-million dollar a year black market. I was the first one to get to her. Found her sitting inside the volcano room, laughing at the chaos that she made. Okay, I shouldn't be smiling under all this latex and makeup, but talk about running like rats. Those big bads were all tough when they had rocket launchers on their shoulders, but shake the earth a little and they were running for their mommies. <laughs> I squatted down next to her and I remember saying, you are one hard woman, gorgeous but hard. Come on, Diamond, you're on cleanup. She wouldn't answer anything except Diamond that day forward. A new voice entered the conversation, my ex-chiefs. She was one of the best. Remember the time? New voices entered and the stories flowed, all of course at my expense, and they were total bullshit. It was not true that explosions followed me across the continents, and I so did not tip the scales of a certain Ameri Central American coup. If the general got the wrong idea, well, you can't blame me. He asked me what I was there to do. I told him straight out I was there to blow the shit out of him and his asshole friends. He laughed at me and told me to get on with it. So I did. Might have registered as a small earthquake. 
You see, I just do it. What in the name of all that is holy is going on? This is a funeral, not a traffic jam. My mother's voice, melodic as fingernails on a chalkboard, cut through the reverie. You, Alexei, you've been in this country long enough. Haven't you learned to drive? Oh, er, yes, Mrs. Allerton, Ridgeway. My marriage to Allerton was annulled. Her reply had the arrogance of a woman who expected everyone to keep up with her daily Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and billboard postings. I dug my nails into my hand, fury barely contained. Leaving my father wasn't enough. Nope, she annulled him. As if with a snap of fingers, 15 years had never happened. She wouldn't let me see him. We fought over it, and that's when she dropped the bomb. Edward Allenton was not my biological father, but he was Cass's, my sister. She couldn't annul that. I didn't really know the current Mr. Ridgeway, and never would. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice man. Oh wait, no he's not. He's married to my mother. Point to the curious. Why wasn't he here today? Mommy Darius probably left him tied up on the porch. I hope she left a bowl of water for him. Mrs. Ridgeway, my congratulations and condolences. Huh? My mother said. I snickered. Alexi probably thought she killed her first official non-existent husband. All of you get. You don't have to go home, but you can't block the driveway. Get out of the way, Alexi. Mrs. Aller Ridgeway, the tire, she is flat. In his moment of silence, I held my breath. But where is the cousin? I didn't move. This was make or break time. My mother squawked again. Close your trunk and move your ass. <laughs> oh. I swallowed a twisted laugh as I cheered my mother on. I mean, honestly, no one ruled, ruined a good time like her. The rear hatch was closed, and then the driver's door opened. The car shifted as Alexei's weight settled into the front seat. He muttered in Russian as he brought the engine to life. A left out of the parking lot, a right onto the main street. We were clear. Still, I stayed hidden. I wasn't trying to give Alexei a heart attack and end up wrapped around a telephone pole. It wasn't part of my plan to die leaving my own funeral. His phone rang, the one he was searching for when he surfed the curb. It was wedged between the center console and the driver's seat. I knew because the light from the screen blasted my eyes. Alexei flailed wildly, as if the phone would sense his hand and jump to it like Thor in his hammer. The groping hand landed on my head. I freed the phone and handed it out. If he had turned around, he would have seen the flo phone floating above his coat. But he didn't. The scavenging hand brushed against the device and then locked on. Hello? Alexei Ruchinsky here. Yes, yes, Mr. Winston, I, I, I read your email. Excuse me, Buford. Oh, I suck there like a Dyson, getting carpet dandruff, lint, and weird car rental seeds in the bargain. Buford Winston. He was the head of an agricultural conglomerate called Agnow, and Gavriel's archenemy. I can't tell you the number of lights I nights I listened to Gavriel nerd rage over some scheme Winston was selling. Screw Denmark. Something was rotten right here in D.C. Alexei was a medical researcher. There was no reason for him to be emailing with Buford. I tell you I will look, so I will look. That is all I can do. My brother has been dead for a year. I am sure his wife would have claimed what was his. Hell yeah. 
Everything important to Gavrielle miraculously escaped the murderous fire that killed me. No one would find it, least of all Buford Winston. The click of a turn signal warned me, but the turn was sharper than I expected. My face bounced off the carpeting, saved from rug burn by my disguise. Latex, it's not just for jowls anymore. Sitting back on my haunches, I shoved the coat aside for air. The shocking truth was revealed. Those weird little car rental seeds were really quinoa. I hate quinoa. Gabriel conducted research on starving populations and was convinced quinoa was adaptable to changing climates. We ate so much of it. I swear my lower 40 is still cultivating a crop partial to red wine, dark chocolate, and medium rare steak. I rummaged through Alexi's pockets and found the hotel key, an EpiPen, three individually packaged mints, ten jeweler's bags of quinoa seeds, and a folded sheets of paper. Gabriel's handwriting. It was in Russian, which meant he was agitated when he wrote the pages. When he was wound up, English eluded him, especially the written word. I have appointments shortly at the university with my brother's assistant. I will see what she has. Perhaps she will know the meaning of the key. No! Buford's response was so emphatic, they heard him throughout Virginia. Do not tell anyone. You just do your looking quiet-like. Yes, yes, Alexei capitulated, his voice without confidence. I will call later. His cell phone landed on the passenger seat with a small thud. He nearly elbowed me, taking the go-cup out of the holder. He sipped and answered with a moan that could follow a woman, but never coffee or tea. As the car slowed to a stop, I peeked out the windshield, seeing the traffic light turn red. He replaced the go-cup in the holder and sighed. This was my chance to come out without killing either, either of us. Before I could act, metal slapped against the driver's window. Now available from Down and Out Books, The Swamp Killers, a novel in stories. Here's what we know is true. Timmy Malisi, a low-level hitter with the infamous Atlanta-based Dupless crime family, ran off with Melody to Jacksonville, Florida. Olivia Dupless, her mother and head of the Dupless family, was incensed and put a price on Timmy, 100000 for his corpse, but with explicit instruction that her daughter not be harmed. We know that's true, or at least we think we do. Sixteen writers tell their version of what happened those fateful days in this gripping, in-novel story, brought to you from the team behind The Night of the Flood. E.A. Amar, Sarah M. Chen, Hilary Davidson, Alex Dolan, Rebecca Drake, Gwen Florio, Elizabeth Hader, J.J. Hensley, Susie Holliday, Shannon Kirk, Tara Laskowski, Jenny Milchman, Alan Orloff, Tom Swetterlich, Art Taylor, and Wendy Tyson. The Swamp Killers is available from Down and Out's website, upon request from your favorite independent bookseller, and from on online retailers. Links are available in the show notes. Oh yeah, now where were we?
<laughs> Get out of the car, motherfucker. You being jacked. The voice was so deep, it likely originated in the man's ankles. Despite being sourced from Urban Dictionary, it had a smooth, polished tone of rhythm and blues, and it just didn't belong with Grand Theft Auto. I waited for the deep bass to say, got you, and let me get on with my day. Instead, he said, I'll take your money and your car. Get out before I get mad. What? The, the car is not mine. You want money? I have money. Alexi's hand groped around my head again. One, two, the crossover went into park and the driver's door opened. Okay, I am listening. No need for the gun. A big weight dropped into the car and then we were flying. Right turn, left turn. I braced my back against the rear seat, trying to keep my feet under me, so to speak. The ride was wild. A menage a trois between the X Games, a rodeo, and the Fast and the Furious. A deep voice laughed. <laughs> it's King. You want to go for a ride? I'll be there in 10. Oh, the hell he would. Time to hijack this carjacking. I rose slowly, peering over his left shoulder at the road ahead. We were on a narrow side street with cars randomly parked in front of houses. The road in front of us was open. I sprung up now barring an arm across his collarbone and holding on. The car bucked wildly, left and right, like a prize bull. We clipped a parked car, rode up a curve, turfed the one patch of grass in the neighborhood, but we didn't stop. I hung tight, using my legs and the bar hold to keep my seat. Ghetto bull riding. Damn, what a rush. I laughed with the thrill of the ride while the bass voice sounded like a tornado siren. Ah! Quiet, I ordered. I pressed the EpiPen into his thick neck. You want to leave? You want to live? You shut up now. You hear me? My voice was calm and professional, of course. What did you do? What was that? His voice cracked as it went up an octave it couldn't reach. Did you kill me? I injected you with a powerful neurocontroller. Mind control. Your mind is under my control. Listen to my voice. You will do what I say, or you will feel extreme pain. Do you understand? I don't want to die. I hate working with amateurs. Extreme pain. Do you understand? He whimpered once. Then he remembered he had balls. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Slow down. Drive the speed limit. He complied, letting the car coast down to the posted limit. What's your name? King. Your real name, not your gangbanger. Just King. When you got a voice like mine, when <laughs> you got a name like mine, you don't need another. You got one? A name? Diamond. Now that we've been introduced, we're going back to pick up the man you borrowed this from. King didn't balk, but drove like a YouTube video on safe driving. Hands at eight and four. Speed one mile an hour under the speed limit. He used the turn signals as we circled back to Alexi. He stood on the corner, unsure if he should sit, stay, or roll over. King pulled over and lowered the passenger window. Alexi bent down, twice as bewildered as he had been. Get in, I yelled. Alexi inspected the length of the car. But... What happened? 
the car rental company. They will charge to my credit card. I'll fix it. Get in. He opened the door this time and eyed the situation. King sat behind the wheel, twitching as though he didn't quite have full command of his faculties. Me, in the back seat, the lion tamer, in control of her pride. Kusin? You were there, and, and then you weren't. And I'm here now for the last time. Get in. Finally, he did. He grabbed his go cup with two hands and poured it down his throat. Clear liquid as water escaped the corner of his mouth. I gave King direction to Alexi's hotel. You have 30 minutes to answer my questions. You went to the bank box. What did you find? It, it was full of packets of seeds. The quinoa my brother loved so. Different varieties, I think. Different colors. And there were notes. His gaze flashed to King, an antelope waiting for a lion to strike. Don't worry about me. She shot me with mind control juice. King hit the brakes hard to let a panel van merge in front of us. Without the juice, I'd have sliced the motherfucker for cutting me off. Alexei wasn't comforted. The pages, the, the dates and notes from conversations between my brother and that man Buford Winston. He had circled some. The last date was three days before he died. The letter with the key, was it dated? Alexei nodded gravely. It had the same date as the last entry. The day before Gabriel left for the conference in Italy. I picture those last days. Searching for a clue, he thought something was wrong. It wasn't the first time I tried to watch those last moments. Each time I saw nothing but my own problems. How self-absorbed I was. Did he say why he didn't leave the key with my cousin? Why send it to you and ask you to give it to her? He could have handed it to her over morning coffee. The fact that Gabrielle chose his brother over me, well, it hurt. If it was so freaking important, he should have left it with me. Gabrielle was lucky he was dead because we would have one hell of a fight over this. I think, I think he hoped it was nothing. King butted in. So this dude put a bunch of seeds in a bank and then mailed you the key before he died? King shook his head. Bad news. I don't know what kind of shit y'all are messed up in, but keep me out. I don't do bad news. You don't do bad news? Alexei's brows pressed together at the incredulous declaration. You carjacked me at gunpoint. Well, yeah, but that ain't nothing. It is to me. One minute Alexei was searching frantically and the next he pointed the business end of the gun at King. How does it feel being on this end? Does it feel like nothing? No! My shout was swallowed by the explosion of a gun. I screamed at Alexei. I know I did because I felt my mouth moving, but the fucker deafened me by pulling the trigger. Alexei dropped the gun like a hot potato. His mouth was open in terror, his eyes equally wide. Alexei faced King, his hands pressed over his ears, his lips moving in fury. I was glad I was deaf. They were making a hell of a racket. King patted himself for wounds instead of keeping his hands on the wheel. Our SUV played pinball between the parked cars. We got tossed like a salad. King, hands on the wheel. My voice bullied past the ringing in my ears. I used the tone honed on inner city kids to keep the big man hopped up on a double dose of adrenaline under control. Alexi, give me the gun, now. 
picked it up from his lap and shoved it at me. I engaged the safety and wiped it down. I couldn't have dead woman's fingerprints on it. Give me some of that brain juice. King's voice was strained, but his hands were steady. I need it. Please, Diamond Lady, please. Just a little hit. You're doing fine. Take the next right. Police weren't going to be far behind. Damn, I'm glad you shot me up. If it wasn't for that num-num juice, I would have shit myself. <laughs> Don't pull something patting yourself on the back. Just drive. Sanely. We drove for a mile. Sirens came, then lights. They raced past us, and we let a collective sigh of relief. And then King began to laugh. The deep bass was contagious, infectious, sounding like something exotic and beautiful. <laughs> you, you have beautiful voice, Alexi said. You sing? Embarrassment crinkled King's eyes and red in his cheeks. No, he said. But we all know he wanted to. King, when I say Barry White, you sing. You won't feel shy or embarrassed. Just confident and joyful. You understand? No, I don't think so. Barry White. Keep your hand on that plow. Hold on. Notes as full and rich as the history of the old spiritual permeated the car reaching through muscle and bone to the soul. Time suspended. All the bullshit of the carjacking and the gunfire, it lifted with his voice. I didn't notice the buildings speeding by or the sounds of a city. There was only the pure beauty of King's voice and the message he delivered. If you want to get to heaven, he'll tell you how. You just keep your hand on that plow. Verse after verse wove a veil of peace, covering the world of violence and deceit in serenity. Silence, finally, brought me back to the car. Alexei was wiping his eyes. So beautiful, and so right on this day when my brother has his wife by his side. What is this song? An old Negro spiritual. It's called Hold On, my grand's favorite. King's smile revealed the kind and gentle man within. What now? Alexi shrugged. I am to go to university and meet Professor Liu. Right. I forgot that detail. Why are you meeting with her and what does Buford Winston have to do with it? His name and number were on the bank box, so I called him yesterday after my visit. I was hopeful he would know more. He is eager to know Gabrielle's work. They collaborated together. <laughs> Maybe. If collaborated is spelled S-T-O-L-E. Did Winston tell you to talk to Professor Liu? Cooley Liu became chair of the department after Gabrielle's death. It was the opportunity the quiet woman needed to take the reins. As Gabrielle's assistant, she was the natural choice to continue the promising research. What does Buford want with her? He asked me to meet, this is true. He does not trust her. He does not say this, but I hear it behind his voice. Did he say why? Intimated. The work, my brother's work, is not moving, and she is um, stalling him. Yes, putting him off. Typical Winston. It's all about the dollars. Someone finally stood up to him, and he cried foul. Typical bully move. I go, Alexi continued, interrupting my mental rant, because it is my brother's work. 
It was everything to him, and if I can help move it forward, then that is what I must do. You see? Yeah, I see. I didn't trust Buford farther than I could throw him, which is about two feet, and was curious what the understudy was doing with the role of researcher-in-chief. Call her. Tell her you're going to be late. Blame it on the funeral. I scrolled my voicemail number down on a receipt shoved in a cup holder. After you meet with her, call this number and leave a message with the summary. He took the number, tucking it into his shirt pocket. I expected questions, but they were there in the piercing set of his dark eyes, but he didn't voice them. We neared the hotel. It was time for action. Circle the block. We'll drop you off, King, and then we'll park the car. You come from the back of the lot, get in, and we'll drive away. Alexi, you go to your hotel room. Wait two hours, then come back down and report the car stolen. King circled, pulled into a fast food restaurant behind the hotel. He parked and turned to Alexi before he got out. Sorry about the jacket and all. You were right. You ain't nothing. You something. He offered Alexi his hand, but in an urban style, putting their hands together at an angle to each other. Alexi imitated a dog who'd just heard an interesting sound. So, like television! He placed his palm in King's and pulled his carjacker in for a hug. King patted the older, smaller man on the back and then opened the door. Get me a milkshake and then I'll be seeing you. He walked to the fast food restaurant, singing to announce his presence. Keep your hand on that plow and you just hold on. Alexi left the passenger seat for the drivers, going out and around. Then he slid onto the leather and he was humming the music of another people from another time. Is a good song, yes? I closed my eyes, trusting Alexi to drive around the block without getting lost or carjacked again. I still needed to get to Black and do his deed to get my file. Buford Winston just got himself added to my list as suspect number one. The engine turned off. I opened my eyes and moved into the gap between the front seats. Call Lou and stall. Take a shower, work, do whatever you need to do to buy us a few hours. Then report the car stolen. Got it? He nodded, calm and determined. I am glad to have met you today, Coulson. I wish you luck. He stunned me by cupping my face in his hands and kissing one cheek, then the other. With hurried movements, he opened the door, dropped his phone on the ground, followed it out, and closed the door. Keys were still in the ignition. Oops. I watched Alexi until the automatic door swallowed him. He moved so much like his brother. Seeing him made the ache better and so much worse. The driver's door opened and I swung the gun toward the invader. <laughs> King passed a tall cup to me. I got you chocolate, cause ladies always loving on the chocolate. Where to, diamond lady? If he thought anything of my reaction, he didn't let on. For me, I was pissed at myself. I needed to get these feelings back in check. I blamed Black. The head, my head wouldn't be so effed up if he hadn't picked my funeral as the drop. My castle, I snapped, then gave him directions to my neighborhood. He figured out I was done talking and turned on the radio. Face thumped out, cheering on a rapper who smeared the women stupid enough to sleep with him. Is that the way you treat your women? I collected the detritus from the floor and shoved it back into the coat Alexi left behind. Nah, King's a lover of the ladies. He changed the station, and the ladies love me back. 
I slurped down the last of my milkshake as King pulled into the parking lot next to the building he didn't know I owned. King braced his arms against the steering wheel, his face in a tight grimace. Okay, do it. He had me. Do what? The mind control antidote. Right, the antidote. Well, King, I'm afraid the antidote expired last year and the drug company can't make anymore because the DOA bought the la DEA bought the last of the supply and shut the factory down. Fucking DEA, he punched the steering wheel. Am I going to be under mind control for the rest of my life? Yep, afraid so. Here's what you're going to do. First, get rid of this car, wipe it clean and do whatever you are going to do with it. Give me your hand. I picked the pen off the floor and then copied a contact from my phone to his hand. Second, you're going to call this man and sing for him. He tries to brush you off. You tell him diamonds cashing in a marker. Then you listen to him. Period. Finally, how much you think I can remember? Finally, you have a good and happy life, King. I order you to. I left the car. He leaned across the center council. And what about you, Diamond Lady? What manner of trouble are you going to make? I grinned. The multifaceted kind. So in two weeks, we'll pick up the story with the next chapter. Wanted, sophisticated slut, must have three-inch heels. Well, that's it for this episode of Mysteries to Die For. If you enjoyed our twist on storytelling, help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. For less than the price of a gourmet chocolate or vanilla milkshake, you can join our body bag brigade to help support the show. Mysteries to Die For was written and produced by T.G. Wolf. Music and editing are by Jack Wolf. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf and published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. All right, Jack, take us out. <laughs>